0: Thank you for listening to the Faith-Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the sixth Sunday after Trinity, July 24th, 2022, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. can be found on page 1613 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us in the truth, that you convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A friend of mine who is a pastor in a different Lutheran denomination told me a story about a time when he was in seminary. His seminary had daily chapel services in the morning. And he and one of his classmates were loitering outside after class, trying to find a good reason to skip chapel. One of their professors at that time walked briskly by as he was heading to chapel. And as he passed by them, he shouted to them, Get to chapel, men. God has good gifts to give to you. My friend told me that it was really, really hard to justify skipping chapel after their prof talked to them. Now what is interesting this morning is that story also directly applies to Jesus' teaching about prayer. After one of the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray as John had taught his disciples to pray, Jesus' instruction can be summed up with the phrase, God has good gifts to give. So with that in mind, we turn our eyes back to Luke 11 and examine three distinct sections of the gospel lesson that teach us about God's good gifts in three different ways. So first, God has good gifts to give because he is our Father, Now, a couple weeks ago, before Bible camp season started, I was walking into the grocery store and passed a man on his way out who was wearing a t-shirt that said, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Now, most of you know that I immediately responded by having my head explode and rolling my eyes because that sentiment is just, well, it's dumb. Now, now the whole motivation behind it is that in the American church of today, people have rejected the formality of religion. People have rejected the repetitiousness of religion and probably other several other excuses that people haven't thought out that well. In its place, the church today advocates for a personal relationship End or experience of Jesus. Now, on its surface, that sounds like an entirely good and pious thing. We should want to have a dynamic, personal relationship with Jesus. Except that almost exclusively, and with almost 100% accuracy, what people are really advocating for is a unique, private relationship religion, totally apart from the flow of anyone else or the flow of church history. And a unique, private religion can and usually is destructive and harmful to personal faith. That sort of privatization of religion is rejected out of hand by the plural pronouns that we use in the Lord's Prayer. This is not in Luke's version, but consider that we open the Lord's Prayer by saying, our Father, not my Father. We say, give us our daily bread. Forgive our sins. Lead us not into temptation. If you have a private, unique faith, you will be completely unable to empathize with any other Christian as they're going through an experience that is entirely different than your experience. You will fail in the task God has given you to do to build one another up. But as odd as all of this sounds, the Lord's Prayer, in fact, does clarify the idea of relationship for us. We do have a relationship with God. It's not this dynamic ebb and flow relationship based on our performance. And again, let's clarify this. When someone walks up to you and asks you, how's your relationship with Jesus going? No matter how well you've catechized yourself, no matter how well you've trained yourself, your answer immediately goes to your performance. If you've done your devotions... If you've been praying regularly, if you've been attending church successfully, you're going to think your relationship with Jesus is good. If you failed at any one or all of those things, you're going to think your relationship with Jesus is bad. But when the Bible speaks of relationship, it speaks in terms of a familial relationship. We have a relationship with God because He is our Father. Now this is an objective relationship that goes back to baptism. God is your Father not because you have ordained it so to be because of your performance, but God is your Father because in pouring the water over your head and in proclaiming the Word at that time, God adopted you as sons in baptism. And I say that specifically Because in your baptism, even if you're a female, you were adopted as a son for the purpose of active legal member of the household of God, which makes God your Father. And now, our hopes, our concerns, and our expectations, as reflected in the petitions of the Lord's Prayer start to take shape. They start to make more sense simply because God is our Father. We look to God for strength as often children look to their father for strength. We look to Him for wisdom as often children, and especially older children, look to their fathers for wisdom. I read a quote this summer from Mark Twain. And what Mark Twain said is something to the effect of, I was surprised how much smarter my father grew from when I was 18 to when I was 25. Something to that effect. But we look to our parents for wisdom. We look to our father for provision. This is we look to our earthly father's provision. We look to them for compassion, and we look to him for protection. But there's one last thing with God as our Father in here. Jesus teaches us to pray something specific about God as our Father. And the first thing we pray is, Hallowed be thy name. Or Martin Luther had a much better translation in the German edition in the small catechism, Our Father in heaven, let your name be kept holy. The whole thing with holiness is that the term means to be set apart. Which means when we pray, Our Father, hallowed be your name, in the Lord's Prayer, we are setting apart our Father as a Father apart from and better than any earthly father. Those who have failed earthly fathers or absent earthly fathers or harmful or abusive earthly fathers of fatherhood in the Lord's Prayer does not exclude you because you are directed to pray and to find comfort in the father who is better than any other father. The father who is set apart from any other father. And he is a father who desires to give you good gifts as any good father would do. Moving to the middle section of our gospel lesson, God has good gifts to give and he is accessible. The second section of the gospel lesson makes a lot more sense if you take just a minute to understand ancient Middle Eastern hospitality culture. For the, for the purposes of teaching... What Jesus is doing in these middle verses and in this middle section of Luke 11, 1-13 is setting up an absurd situation. A man has an unexpected midnight guest arrive and doesn't have any food prepared to serve him. So he goes to his friend appealing for just three loaves of bread. Now, the friend in Jesus' teaching doesn't want to be bothered because he and his family are already in bed. For those of you with kids... Who go through the difficulty of bedtime every night, you get this sentiment. Okay? I do not want to be disturbed because my kids are in bed and this is my time, okay? But the friend acquiesces because of the man's impudence, because of his boldness, because of his brashness. Now, all of this seems well and good, but it would have been absolutely and unequivocally absurd to Jesus' original audience because in the ancient Middle East and in fact many cultures today it would have been absolutely expected that the friend would help out. That the friend would have gone to the extra mile to help out. It would have been a matter of honor not only for the friend and the man making the appeal but for the entire community to turn away the man and his guests would have been utterly unthinkable. So with that in mind, what's the lesson here for us? It's about the accessibility of God. God has staked his entire reputation on his grace and mercy and compassion. For God to give away these amazing gifts, he has to be accessible. People have to want to come to him. We can't go to him in fear that he has gone to bed with the rest of the kids and doesn't want to be disturbed. And so the message for us, for God's children, is simple. God never sleeps. God will never turn us away. He is always there for us as we pray and when we pray. And so we should ask and seek And even, and I think this last part of the last section here puts it all together, we should knock. We should be bold. Because God is available to hear and provide and give us his good gifts. God is available. And he has good gifts to give. Finally then, God has good gifts to give because he himself is good. The final section of the gospel lesson is the shortest one, but also possibly the most interesting. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Once again, Jesus is appealing to God's relationship to us as father. And he does so by pointing out the capability of earthly fathers. We, as fathers, know how to give good gifts to our children. We would never, ever swap a fish with a serpent or a scorpion with an egg. Now, this is, I had to reprogram my brain on this because having heard this for the first time and sinking in when I was a teenager, I kind of thought that sounded like a pretty hilarious prank. But that's not what's being taught about here. The point is, the father is swapping out something good for something dangerous. The serpent is not a garter snake. It's venomous. The scorpion isn't a beetle. It's venomous. And for the father... To do something like that for a child in need not only would be evil, but it would also betray trust. And that's what's getting after here. For a father to have his trust undermined in parenting his children. And yet, Jesus accuses us of being evil. Every single earthly father, without exception, is a sinner. We are all committers of evil and by and large, the vast majority of fathers would never swap a fish for a rattlesnake, would never swap an egg for a scorpion. And that's where we let the teaching sink in. God, our Heavenly Father, isn't evil. He is good. He is very good. He is perfectly good. And so, in prayer, we should expect that God knows how to give us good things. And so, we should willingly and regularly approach Him for those things. What this all amounts to now, God as our Father, God as available, and God as good, all of this gets wrapped up then in Jesus' identity for us, Jesus' activity for us. God has adopted us as children because Jesus died in our place as God's child. God is accessible to us in prayer because Jesus' death tore open the curtain of the holy place and allows us to come into the throne room of God to ask for what we need with confidence. And Jesus' death and resurrection is in fact the evidence of God's goodness and his love for us. And so the call for Christians today is to pray. Now maybe, most of us, the response to that would be, well, duh, But I don't think it is. Because when I hear Christians pray, and when I hear Christians asking for prayer requests, there almost always is at least a little shade of the reality that we think we are praying to an unwilling God who needs to have his mind changed so that he will give us what we want. We sometimes approach God in prayer thinking that He is against us. That He is opposed to us. Well, maybe this is because we're under the guilt and conviction of sin. And if you are under the guilt and conviction of sin, the answer is to repent. God wants to give you good things, and the very best thing He wants to give you is forgiveness for your sins. Your sins have already been bought and paid for by Jesus. God can do nothing but forgive you when you approach Him. But maybe on the flip side is some of us have prayed. And whatever it is that we've prayed for, we've not received it. We've not received what we wanted or we've not received it when we wanted or whatever the case might be. And it might be that in our mind, God has betrayed our trust. But that's not the case. Our trust for God is based not on what I want in the moment, but based on over everything else, God is good. And when I don't get what I want, when I want, again... It might be because I'm being selfish and I should repent. But sometimes when I don't get what I want, when I want, it means that God has something else in mind. And even if I can't see it, it's better. Which means at the end of our prayers, the real answer to our prayers is that God is with us. God is there to comfort us. I've said this over and over and over to you as your pastor. Our lives as Christians would have so much more peace if we would stop looking for God's purpose in our suffering. If we would stop looking for the moral of the story when God doesn't answer our prayer, but instead we would focus on God's presence. Now I, as your pastor, have a pretty good idea of what's going on in most of your lives. I don't know everything perfectly, but I have a pretty good idea. And whatever it is you're struggling with right now, your doubts and your fears or your anxieties, those are all about to be met right here at this altar because God is with you. And when God is with you, He forgives you. And He saves you. He redeems you. And He gives you eternity. That is the outcome of our prayers. God desires to give good gifts to you. And the gifts that He regularly gives are so far beyond our expectations that we can hardly comprehend them. And it's for those things that we praise God together. Amen. And now, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.